This is a Color Pencil Podcast, session number 79. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick, and I am joined today once again by my co-host, Lisa Clow of Lockery Fine Art. Lisa, how you been? Good. I just got back from vacation, so I am happy. Oh, yeah. Visiting parents? Yeah, I went to Southern California. Glad to be back in Texas Cool. Why is that? You hated the beautiful weather up there? Uh, The smog. (laughs) God, I forgot. That didn't used to bug me so much, but when I go now, my throat and lungs are like, it really bugs me, which is kind of interesting so yeah no i definitely like texas better this is a show about colored pencil where we discuss one of the fastest growing mediums on the planet so lisa what are we talking about today we are answering some of our listeners questions also fastest medium on the planet is that true or are you making that up i've got to know uh that was given to me by colored pencil magazine i think it's true one of the fastest growing mediums on the planet yeah interesting all right so our first question What color should I use for skin tones and how do I blend them together? So I think what we're getting at here is how do I make them look smooth? Either that or just making them look realistic in general, because, you know, if you use too much of the wrong color, you can make something go from looking realistic to cartoony. So I can see where there could be a couple of sides to this question. So one thing that kind of drives me a little bit crazy is I hear this this question a lot, and the question itself doesn't drive me crazy. Sometimes the answers people give drive me crazy. There are those out there who are trying to sell a product, and they do the whole, here is your formula. This is the only formula you need, and this is how you will forever draw skin tones. And it just doesn't work that way. When you're drawing something, you can have the same person in 15 different light sources, and you're going to use 15 different sets of pencils to get each of those different drawings. Even though it's the same person with that, you know, their skin color itself didn't change, the light source changed. Your skin is going to pick up on what's around you. There's no way to say these are the colors that you will always use. While there may be some of those charts out there that will get you started, they are not how you forever draw skin, you won't get very realistic, very good results in doing that. And so it's kind of one of my pet peeves when I see people go, oh, here's a list for you. No, it really depends on your reference photo. You're going to want to check. And I do have a video. Oh, God, now I sound like that. I've got something to sell you, but mine's free. <laughs> this is John Snow, if right? You want, uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> but if you want, if you do a search, we'll put some links in the show notes. But you can also search on YouTube for La Cree and eyedropper tool or Photoshop color matching. And I'll show you how you mm-hmm. can easily check for the colors that you're looking for for your specific photo. Because the portrait you are working for from is going to be different, again, depending on the light source. There's no way for anyone to tell you accurately anyway, I should say. I guess plenty of people will tell you. They just are wrong. Um, But there's no way to accurately have someone tell you, here's a set of colors that you need for creating skin tones. It depends on your photo. Yeah, because then it'll look way too prescriptive and cookie cutter. It's just like if you go to a caricature artist and they're not very good at it, every caricature looks the same, right? So be careful about that. If you use the same skin tones for every portrait that you draw. Well, you want to 
remember too, your background has to work in with your skin tones. If you're following somebody's formula and you're using a different background, none of it's going to make sense because they don't go together. Those, you you have to work everything in together. Yeah, good point. Now, there are some guidelines that I want to just kind of throw out there very quickly about skin tones with, with regard to the face or portraiture. And that is that there are regions of the face, and this is a good thing just to keep in mind or to study a little bit further, but you, you're safe in following kind of these guidelines and assuming these things. There's three different regions of the face. The top region of the forehead area can be slightly more yellow or more white than the rest of the face. And then the nose and the cheeks and that area right in there, that mid-range area can be more red Uh, the overall hue, and then the lower half can be more gray or more blue or green. And one pencil line that I really like to use quite a bit is the luminance pencils when I'm doing portraiture. And some of the ones that I like to use are the burnt sienna, the uh, raw umber, burnt ochre. Those are all good. And one thing, though, to keep in mind and try to just be aware of more than anything is it's real easy, especially starting out in portraiture, to create an orange-looking skin tone. And what I mean by that is it, you know, the person looks like they're a little cutie or something. And and you want to just kind of watch out for that. It's easy to start making the skin. And we're t- if we're talking about a Caucasian person, that's what I'm discussing right now. Uh, but it's easy to start, you know, using the apricot uh, pencil and color all the skin this orange kind of color. And it that's just one thing to kind of keep in mind. With regard to the overall skin tone, though, if you look at your reference and then look at your art project that you're drawing on and you notice that the overall hue might be slightly leaning towards a yellow color and the person looks a little jaundiced or something like that, or they're, they're looking slightly embarrassed, they look a little red or something like that, then you want to start doing some corrections and always use a test piece of paper to do that. But that is one of the things that you'll, that you'll want to uh, kind of look at and pay attention to. I noticed that one of the things that's hard to get right often is to get a warm kind of glow to the skin. And that's usually accomplished by using a pink or a red. And I know that that may sound counterintuitive, but if you use a red and you just kind of glaze that on very lightly, even a strong, a strong red, but you don't press very hard and you don't distribute that in a, a real saturated way, but very lightly over the skin, you can get a very warm, golden kind of tone to the skin. But those are just some some tips and some guidelines to keep in mind. And in general, whenever I see somebody say, never use this color, never use that color, and I've seen people do that, I just kind of, it's like big, huge face palm, like, you can't say never to anything. I see it a lot. I see it a lot with experienced artists or teachers who are trying to teach students. Yeah. I don't know how you can say that because just like you said, with the background, it is going to influence the tone of your hue mm-hmm. that you're that you're drawing, and so that makes a it makes a huge difference. Um, so you got to pay attention to the overall balance. And I really like that tip you gave Lisa, and this is something I like to do too: is use the eyedropper tool and create your palette in mm-hmm. Photoshop and look and look at those colors, see what they are, and then try to match those up with your uh, with your pencil set that you're using. Yeah. Now for blending them together, this just comes down to layering things over. Um, it depends on the, the blending techniques you're using. I am generally using odorless mineral spirits. And with that, I just 
work one area up to the next. With colored pencil, it's not like working in acrylic paint where you have a definite start and stop line. With colored pencil, you just keep layering that area and it will blend, or it should blend if you're layering enough, seamlessly into the other, as long as you're not pushing too hard to start off with. If you start off with burnishing and then try to blend it into it, you might end up with problems, but you they really just blend together. No, that's a good point. I love that. I really love that, Lisa. Now, here's the thing, and don't be afraid if, if Lisa's mentioning using solvents or OMS and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to do that. That's fine. You don't have to. You can do it without using solvents, but she's hitting on something really big here, and that is that if you if you create this soft transition from one area to the next and let's take a cheek and then we're moving down towards the the side of the jaw the jawline and the chin so if i'm uh, coloring in if i'm drawing this area of the of the cheek and i'm moving my pencils down as i'm doing that say i'm using hatching or cross and i'm doing cross hatching the more that I am tapering my stroke down towards the, the lower areas of the, of the face, the chin and the jawline, then I'm going to create that soft transition. And like Lisa said, the more you keep layering, the more you're going to have a soft transition. I like to think of it like, you know, there's a, a waterfall or something like that. There's water, there's a sky, you're looking at a, a, a big billowy cloud that's moving from one area to the next. All of these facial features are related to one another and they influence one another. And so you don't want a hard stop and start to any one color in the face. Yes. And that's something that it'll come with time, but just recognizing that and looking at it and making sure that, hey, this cheek doesn't look like just one cheek alone by itself and it's not connected to the the, uh, rest of the face. It has to be connected to everything else. And so that's something that's just very important to keep in mind when you're drawing a face. So our next question today is, how do I not feel intimidated when I look at somebody else's art and it's better than mine and they've been drawing for less time than me? I can kind of understand how you might feel like that, honestly. And let me just speak to that really quickly here. That's easy to do. There, There's a reason for the old adage, compare and despair. If you compare and you beat yourself up over that comparison, then it's not a good thing. But if you compare and you think to yourself, how can I improve, then it would be a good thing. And let me just say, though, that some people are just naturally able to see shapes easier than others. That doesn't mean that you can't learn that. And if it's something that is challenging to you, it's something you can definitely learn. You can learn to identify abstract shapes. And one thing that can help with that is to uh, do sketching, do a daily sketching, to journal of areas where you feel like you're challenged, and then not to beat yourself up over that, but to think, okay, this is the part that I enjoy. And then when I start getting into this difficult area over here, this is the part that causes me Um, some concern. This is a part where I get frustrated and I have to walk away from the drawing desk. Why is that? You have to start having this dialogue with yourself. And maybe you can't do that while you're drawing at that time. Maybe it's too difficult to recognize and you have to walk away. But maybe when you walk away, maybe when you take a break, you can think to yourself, why was that so difficult? Why was I having a problem right there? My only point about this is you can improve. You can get better. You will get better if you're thinking about this critically and you're constantly challenging yourself and trying to push through these difficult areas. You will get better. So don't beat yourself up. Yeah. One of the things that I think is one, it's just 
so not helpful to artists is when people say, don't compare yourself to other artists. You know what? If you're trying to improve, if you compare yourself in the right way, like what John is talking about, where you're look, look at what the difference is between yours and that other artist. Okay, what are they doing different than me? What are, and that can come, I'm going to come back to that. It can come down to a few things. There are many factors that can get involved here. So if you can look at what that other artist is doing, just compare your work to theirs, but in a constructive way, like what John is saying, be constructive. What can you improve on? That's going to help. The other thing is you don't know while that artist, maybe they haven't been doing it as long as you, but how much time a day are they working on theirs? You don't necessarily know that. How many drawings have they gotten done? Just because somebody's been working for a year doesn't mean that they haven't completed more projects than you or that they have experience in another medium. I've seen this as well, where somebody was a graphic designer and moved into fine arts. And so it sounds like, yes, I've only been doing colored pencil for a year, but they've got such a general understanding of art that it makes it seem, you know, it seems like they're, they've just skipped ahead. Mm -hmm. They haven't, they've been doing this their entire career just with a different medium. So there's just so many different things involved where it can just be that they are spending more time than you or that they have Mm -hmm. more of a background, but don't let that be the thing that frustrates you. And when you do compare yourself to other artists, compare yourself in a way that you can learn from, not in a way that you're beating yourself up for it. Yeah. That's a really big point though, too, that you made there with um, some people yeah, they may take 60 hours working on a drawing and maybe I only took mm-hmm. 10. Well, yeah. yeah, it's going to look better. You know, the longer that you take on a project, typically uh, the better it will look. Now, I don't mean just over-obsess yeah. and become overly critical of yourself and just become a perfectionist and take a year on one piece. I mean, we could do that. You know, it takes two artists to do a a painting or drawing, right? One to start and the other to tell them when to stop. But I'm talking about, you know, just taking more time and then completing it and then moving on, learning from the mistakes and moving on. Okay. Next question. I listen to your podcast every week and you've touched on this topic before, but I was wondering if either John or Lisa have tried watercolor pencils as a base then using colored pencil on top. I've seen amazing artwork done this way, but have you tried blending the colored pencil on top with OMS, or do you think it will not work with a watercolor base? I love the podcast. It's hard to find other artists using colored pencil where I live in Australia. Well, hey, thanks for listening out there in Australia. Okay, using watercolors as a base. There's, there's an artist I know who covers this and talks about it quite a bit in his book. I can't remember the name of the book, but um, he's a pretty famous uh, color pencil artist. Uh, Gary Green is his name. I think it's the one and only book, though, that he's written on color pencil. And he does discuss using a uh, watercolor base or watercolor pencils and then uh, using color pencil on top. I'm not sure what I don't I don't know that I've really done that. I have used watercolor pencils and I've used uh, wax or oil base on top, but I don't think that I've blended the colored pencil, the watercolor pencils underneath with water. I think I left them as a dry medium. I don't, I don't recall doing that. I mean, you could do that, I suppose. Um, I don't, I don't see why you wouldn't be able to do that. I mean, the important thing to remember with that is that you would want, you know, you would allow for the drying time, obviously, and then you would, after you have that base, then you would apply your uh, colored pencils on top of that. For using OMS? 
I don't, I don't think recommend that, it. I don't think Lisa. I don't think Lisa does this at all. I think you don't. Like I it or absolutely right? do not recommend using odorless mineral spirits over your watercolor base. I think a watercolor base under colored pencil, where you're not blending in with OMS, is beautiful. I've seen it done, and it is stunning. Love the look, but. When you start applying OMS, it's just like applying water. It's going to lift it off the paper too much. It's going to affect what you previously did. So you really wasted your time in putting the colored pencil down first. It's not going to hurt. I mean, you're not going to have some terrible science experiment go wrong on your paper. But the end result is kind of pointless because it's just going to lift the colored pencil off the paper. So I think you answered the question as to just mixing the two products together, which I do think works well. However, if you're planning to blend like you see me do, where I'm using the OMS on top, I don't really recommend it because I do think just like if you were to put water over the colored pencil, although that wouldn't blend colored pencil because they're not water soluble, I, you're going to lift any bits where you wanted the color or the watercolor showing through. You're going to end up lifting a lot of that up. Watercolor is not permanent. It it lifts. That's one of the things that can be very nice. It can also be very frustrating, but one of the things with, with watercolor is that it's going to lift. You can add water and pull areas back up. So imagine doing that with OMS. It's just going to be that much worse. So anything that you previously had done is just going to lift. Now, that said, let's say you did this beautiful watercolor background and then it's all blended out with water however you want. Then you go on top of everything for your subject. Maybe you painted a building or we'll say a butterfly. You paint this butterfly over this blurred or this watercolor background. The butterfly itself, if you use OMS and don't let the OMS touch anywhere where the watercolor was, then you're really not going to have a problem. But if you have spillover, it's going to cause the watercolor portions to lift up. So you'd have to use a very small amount and make sure that it's not touching in order, like I said, it would ruin the background. It would lift off the color that you did with the watercolor pencils. Well, in OMS in general, I mean, even with wax or oil-based pencils, it does, it can have a tendency to lift the pencil back well, yeah, up. Yeah, it's a paint thinner. I mean, I mean that's, that's one of the what things it does. about it's it. It's supposed yeah. to remove paint. It's right. definitely going to remove watercolor. Well, that's color. what it's designed for. <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, it'll even do it on an, a wax yeah. or oil-based pencil. So that's something to keep in mind. You don't use a lot. When you're using OMS, you're not using a lot. You're using it sparingly just to break down the binders in the pencil so that you can make it pliable. Yeah. So if you use it on a small area and don't let it touch the watercolor portions, I think you would be fine. But you need to be very careful. I think it would be so easy yeah, to have an accident. That's meant, that yeah, that's how be like heartbreaking, like, oh my gosh, I spent so much time on that background and I just ruined it because, you know, you're probably not going to get that quite the same um, or fix it if you had a drip yeah. or, I mean, anything can happen. So you would just have to be very careful and not have the OMS portion touch the watercolor. Again, you're not going to have some crazy science experiment where fires are going to start or anything like that, but I definitely would not intentionally have the two touch. Test, test, test. Yeah. Always test on a separate yes. piece of paper. Our next question. I have started to attempt drawing in colored pencil. I have only taken two classes online. However, my question has either not been answered correctly or I simply have misunderstood how to deal with this issue. My problem is the end product always shows scratch lines from pencil and blender pressure. It may look beautiful from afar, but the lines are very obvious after I share my item on social media, for instance. I don't mean the pencil outline from the transfer process. Okay, well, I mean, a couple of things about that. Y you are sometimes depending on the technique you are going to see pencil lines uh, especially if you burnish and that that will that will happen now if you're using a spray a final fixative then you don't see you're not going to see 
many of those pencil lines. I don't. I don't see pencil lines. If I'm looking at my piece and then I and I spray and I say, oh, there's a pencil line there. I wish that wasn't there, um, even though it looks good from four or five feet away. When I spray it, I don't see it anymore. So I'm hoping that maybe that's what you're talking about. However, if you're talking about something where you're seeing a lot of scratch lines or or they're just so obvious when you're maybe two, three feet away and you're wondering how to to alleviate that kind of problem, then a couple of things here, and I don't mean this to sound negative, but you can use a little bit better form when you're laying down your pencil, not be as heavy-handed, and use some you know some better techniques in pencil strokes, and that will make a little bit of a difference there. And that that to me is a big deal because that bothers me personally. Now, if you're using OMS, a lot of times you're going to cover up some of those scratch lines, as we're calling them here, uh, that you're talking about. And you won't see them as much if you're using OMS. But if you press too hard, depending on the paper that you're using, but you could you know, cause some indentations in your paper, and it'll be kind of hard to uh, recover from that. You may always kind of see those. But again, I think it comes down to a kind of a technique in pencil strokes, the way that you're laying down the pencil. I try to use uh, some technique where I'm laying it down with a very even pressure. I don't always succeed at that, but I mean, that kind of alleviates the, that problem for the most part. Yeah, the only time I've really seen this, well, there are a few times, but the main reasons that I see causing this one can be your paper. If you're using a paper like the Bristol Vellum is really bad with this. This one is just notorious for picking up scratch Yes, lines. it's so spongy. Yeah, very, very spongy. The paper you're using could be part of the problem. Another would be like yeah. what John was saying, the, the amount of pressure you're adding with your hand. If you're pushing too hard too early on, because a lot of people will think, well, if I use a light hand, the color's not really on the paper. I'm not getting the color saturation that I want. With colored pencil, you generally want to keep your pencil very, very sharp and work in many, many, many light layers. For me, my amount of layers is usually closer to 20. I mean, a lot of light layers to get the color saturation where I want. When you push very hard, that's where you get those indents. Now, the other thing that can be happening is the type of pencil you're using. Prismacolors I've seen are the worst. The, just the way that the wax bloom is, you can really see your pencil lines that way. And one thing that you can do is take a soft cloth, like an old t-shirt, and kind of wipe it down. Now, this can smudge your work slightly. It's usually pretty minor, but you're basically wiping off some of that wax bloom, and that will, a lot of the time, smooth out your pencil strokes. So I would say test all of these things out on a separate piece of paper and see what which of these fixes your problem. Because like I said, there's many reasons that, that can be causing this you just have to figure out which one yours is and then adjust your technique accordingly all right if you guys want your question answered on the show you can always contact us podcast at sharpenedartist.com or you can submit a question over at sharpenedartist.com slash q and a and we want to thank you very much for listening today and we will talk to you again next week bye Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com. But, I mean, the uh, my brain keeps shutting off tonight. There we go. All right, more coffee here. Okay. Um, I wish I had the rewind. It's so much easier when I edit video because I can back up and go, okay, what did I miss? <laughs> right. I have a, a script of what I'm saying. Right. <laughs>